Good morning. It's good to see everyone. If you would uh, turn your Bibles this morning to 1 Peter, we are on the final stretch of this epistle as we come to chapter 5. And this morning, we will just kind of look at verses 1 through 4, but then we'll move on to some other thoughts before I really get into verses 1 through 4. But this is a passage where Peter is addressing the elders. He is speaking to the elders, to the leaders of the churches that are scattered. He gives them some instruction. He gives them some very important instruction. And he recognizes that all of us need to hear this instruction. And the reason I say that is because it's put in a letter that is being read to all the churches. So it's not just instruction that he wants the elders to hear, it's instruction that he wants everyone to hear, everyone in the church. And I think for two reasons, two reasons, two possible reasons for this. One would be that we would have a unified uh, view on the matters that he mentions in these instructions, that we would recognize the importance of them, we would recognize that these are things that we ought to be in agreement on. And secondly, so that you would know how to pray for your elders and pray for your leaders. Look what he tells them to do. I I just, as I read this passage, therefore I exhort the elders, this is one through four of 1 Peter chapter five. I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and I partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Notice what he says, shepherd the flock of God among you exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory." So we'll stop there and begin addressing that in in the upcoming weeks, but I want you to notice the word therefore, and you may not even see it if you're not using the New American Standard. I don't know that the other translations include the word, but therefore is therefore a reason it should be there because what it tells you is there's a context to what Peter is saying to the elders. It tells you to look back. It tells you based on what you have heard regarding persecution. He says, therefore, I exhort the elders. In other words, leadership is needed. Leadership is really needed. Important to have leadership when persecution is present. Strong, healthy leadership is necessary for the difficult seasons of life in the church. And I think that is important to understand the context of what he is saying. It has been said, it has been said that the character and effectiveness of any church is directly related to the quality of its leadership. Those are solemn words to me and I read them, but they're true. They are absolutely true. The character and the effectiveness of any church is directly related to the quality of its leadership. Which means that how we view the office of elder or pastor 
is absolutely important. And there's a lot of confusion on elder, pastor, deacons, all of those things. There's a lot of confusion in the church today. A quote from Alexander Strzok's book on elders. Alexander Strzok has written on this topic for years. He is a phenomenal writer. Uh, I've referred to his book. In fact, I'll quote from his book several times throughout this message this morning. But he's just written a great work on this. But he says this, Every church is a reflection of its leadership. The effectiveness of any church is directly related to the godliness of its leaders. Sadly, Christians have little or given no thought to this subject. To many, it seems the organizational structure or leadership of the local church is really as relevant to them as the color of the carpet. Just not a big deal. And end of quote. But the point is, we need to realize how the church is to be governed, how the local church is to be governed. I don't think I thought about this at all when I was in seminary. In fact, I can't even remember. There were just a, just a mixture of views being taught, even at Dallas Seminary when I was attending there. I mean, there were some who had arguments one way and others had arguments other ways, but it was, it was just really not something that I walked away from seminary thinking a whole lot about. I thought, well, you know, be a leader in a church. I can lead a Bible study. Listen, I don't even mind getting in front of people if I've got something to say. I, this pastoring thing is going to be simple. You know, it's going to be really easy for me. I mean, I, plus, I have got some great ideas. You know, I just thought that was all there was to it. You know, I mean, really. Just uh, have a Bible study and just get people on board with you and just have a church. Have church. I honestly did not think about it the way I think about it now. I mean, I was one of those who thought the color of the carpet was just as important as how you structured your church. And I tell you right now, I don't feel that way one bit. This is, the most serious, this is one of the most serious things for the church to understand. And there's a lot of confusion about it. These words and terms are, are thrown around and I don't think people really understand what they mean and what they involved are involved in them. I think the Bible is really clear on the subject. I really think the Bible is clear on how the church is to be led and governed. And I think that's something that we want to think about. It's interesting, we, Alexander Strzok is probably the, uh, just a, a main writer on a lot of this uh, in our circles, and he's just done a great, great job with it. We, we got a case of books from him recently. We got a case of his books. We don't even know why we got the case of books. But it was a case of books addressed to us, and the best we could figure out was we had a connection with another pastor at a church in Houston who has a college student that's going to be attending our church in the future, and he's concerned that that college student is in a church that has good leadership, so as Alexander Strzok send us all these books on Christian leadership. <laughs> now, if I'm wrong on that interpretation of why we got that load of books, I'll let you know, but it was just, it was just kind of we're sitting there going... This is great. We can make use of these. We've got plans for these books. But it was multiple copies of all kinds of books. And, uh, and I appreciate the concern that this pastor and Dr. Strzok have for leadership. But the point is, he makes this quote in his book. 
Many contemporary scholars say this. Many contemporary scholars say the New Testament is ambiguous or silent regarding the topic of church government and conclude no one can insist on a biblical model. You hear that? No one can say this model is right or that model is right because they say the Bible doesn't say that. He says, Strzok goes on to say, to hear some scholars speak, you would think that the Bible does not say a word about the subject. And I guess that's what I'm going to try to do this morning is challenge the idea that the Bible is not clear on this subject. I think the Bible is very clear on this subject. And it's not uncommon if you were to read a book on ecclesiology, if you read a book on the, the doctrine of the church, you would see a blending of all these different views I'm built to show you. Just blend it together. Elder, elder-led, congregational-led um, a mixture of all of those things. Here, here, are the, here, are the view, here are the basic forms that are out there right now. You have the pastor rules. That's one extreme. It's like a, a, a king or a monarchy. What the pastor says goes. He's like a CEO of the church. That's one extreme. The other extreme is congregational rule. I grew up in this kind of church. One of the first places I took a new convert to was a congregational ruled board meeting on a Wednesday night, and he had to listen to the debate over something going on in the church that had nothing to do with spiritual matter, just something to do with the building. But the point is, that was a congregational ruled church, and everybody had to give their opinion, and everybody had to give their input into that. And we love that in America because we like democracy, and we like everybody having a vote, and we like everybody, and we like majority rules. That is very appealing to the American mind, to have congregational rule. Everybody plays a part in leading the church. And then you have this middle form, which I think is the biblical form, is elder rule or elder led, where you have a plurality of godly men leading the church. It's the process of unanimity. It's the process of men not voting for a majority on a decision, but a men who are pursuing unity. Men who are pursuing the same mind on an issue. Men who are pursuing the same heart on an issue. And men who are striving for the proclamation of the gospel. And when men, and the way we see it, when men don't agree that we just do more, seek out more information. Hey, listen, we are, we are an elder-led church. We're an elder-ruled church. When we didn't understand CRT and all of those issues were coming at us, listen, we didn't, we didn't sit there and vote. on. We, we went and did research. We researched COVID. We researched all these issues. It wasn't just our opinions. We wanted to come to a pursuing of unity among us in making any kind of decision that was made. That is an elder-ruled church. Stop and pray more. Seek more counsel. It's not just who can manipulate more votes in a meeting. That's not what that was about. We don't, you don't function as CEOs or, or we don't believe you just pastor is to function as a CEO and, and rule the church. And we don't think Americans loving democracy. And he says, no, the focus here is on shepherding. That is what we believe. And I'm not saying things can't be abused. They certainly can. But I believe this is the way that God has designed the church. I'm going to defend that and show you that this morning because that's who Peter is writing to in 1 Peter chapter 5, the elders of those churches. 
And I think if you try to blend these together, if you kind of say, well, we're going to have the elders, an elder-led church, but we're also going to have congregational rule, mix it together, nobody knows who's in charge. Nobody knows who is going to make the decisions in the church. And that just gets very confusing because decisions are having to be made all the time. And people need to know who has the final say. And I'll say this to you. It's not even the elders that have the final say. Understand that. Uh, I don't have the final say. And none of the elders have the final say. We talk about the authority of the Bible. We talk about the authority of Christ. He is the head of the church. He is the one who's, uh, who we look to for, for answers. The, the Bible is our authority. It's the God-breathed word. See, a lot of places will say authority of the Bible, but when it comes down to a decision to be made, a moral decision a lot of times, it tends to go with the cultural viewpoint more than what the Bible says. It tends to go with how people feel more than what the Bible says. Authority to the Bible is not an easy thing in our culture. Submitting to the authority of the Bible and the authority of Christ is easy to say. It is not easy to do. I've had people say to me, why do y'all practice church discipline? That just doesn't seem right to be doing that in this day and time. I'm thinking, well, who's the authority? It isn't me. I don't call. I just do what Jesus says to do. Don't talk about sin and repentance and Christ being the only way. Don't talk about those things. You're just going to alienate people. I say, that's not my decision to make. That is the authority of the Bible. That is what Jesus said to do in the Great Commission. He said, you teach them to observe all things that I have commanded you. It's not my opinion how I feel that day or what the audience might think of what I say. It's who is the authority. Who do I fear more, God or man? That is the issue. And so we, so we look to the Scripture as our authority. So even as elders, we recognize we're under the authority of Christ. He is the chief shepherd. It is His Word that has final authority. And that is where we go to look for any answer on any issue, on any subject that might be before us. Authority is very very important. And you look at the mainline denominations that are breaking up and having conflicts, I guarantee you it goes back not to so much the moral issues they're fighting about, it goes back to the authority issue. Who is calling the shots in that local church? Men, women, feelings, culture, or the authority of God's Word? So, I want you to see this authority. Look, you don't have to turn there. Just listen to these verses. Matthew 16, 18. I will build my church. I will build my church. That's the possessive pronoun. My church. Ephesians 1, And he, sh- he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. We're, we're a body and Christ is the head. Colossians 1.18, he, he is also head of the body, the church. 
And he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. He is the leader, and he is the authority. And then he mediates his authority through humble, servant, human leaders who are entrusted by the Holy Spirit and given the responsibility of overseeing and shepherding Christ's flock. Uh, and that, those leaders will be held accountable to Christ when he returns. And every time I read that, I just puts the fear of God in me. It just does. That is an awesome responsibility. It is not about pleasing men. It's about pleasing Christ. Turn to Mark chapter 10. Turn to Mark chapter 10. In Mark chapter 10, as you can tell, we're not in 1 Peter right now. We'll get back there eventually. But in Mark chapter 10, there's this, when you, you've heard the term servant leadership, in, 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 this is a great passage on church leadership. It talks about the servant leader, the servant leader. And this is kind of one of those passages we get that from. If you were to read in Strzok's book, he gives a lot of passages you could go to for this subject. I think this is probably the best passage that tells us and describes to us what it means to be a leader in the church in terms of a servant leader. Mark chapter 10, look at verse 41 just to start things out. Notice in verse 41 of Mark chapter 10. Hearing this, the 10 felt indignant. Hearing what exactly made them feel indignant? Look at, uh, back up at verse 35, and let's just read that for a moment. James and John, this is verse 35 of Mark chapter 10. James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. That's presumptuous, right? Thought Jesus, here, here's the thought. Here's what's going on, folks. They're headed to Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, that means the king and a kingdom. That means he's going there to set up his kingdom in Jerusalem to overthrow Roman government and, and set up that kingdom. And they want prominent places in that kingdom. That's what they're about to ask. We're going to see that in these verses. He said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant that we may sit one on your right hand and one on your left in your glory. You see what they're asking? They're asking for places of prominence in his kingdom. Verse 38, oh, Jesus said, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism which I am baptized? He says, you do not even understand what is about to happen. I am not going to reign on a throne. I'm going to die on a cross. That's what I'm going to Jerusalem for. He doesn't say that. He's just said that a lot of other times. He says that in previous verses to Mark 10.35. He says that in previous places. They just don't catch it. But I am going to die on a cross. Is that what you're going to do? Are you going to die with me on that cross? That cup? Are you going to drink that? Verse 39, they said, oh yeah, we're able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you're going to drink it. And you shall be baptized with the baptism which I am, which I am baptized. But to sit on my right hand or my left, this is not mine to give. But it's for those whom, for whom it has been prepared. Hearing this, the ten began to feel indignant. That's Greek for indignant. 
They were mad. They were jealous. They were, there was animosity from them towards James and John. Why? Because they wanted the positions. More than likely, they wish they'd have thought of this question in advance. They wish they were the ones who were able to have those positions. You see, all along the way, one of the favorite conversations that the disciples would have as they're walking with Jesus is this question, who is the greatest in the kingdom? Which of us is the greatest in the kingdom? Who of us has the most prominence in the kingdom? That was their way of jockeying for position. And just comes to a head here now when James and John just go out on a limb and say, hey, I'm just going to ask him straight up. Can I sit in the, can we sit in those places? Verse 42, calling them to himself, he said to them, calls all the disciples, you know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not this way among you. Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. I don't know who, whose quote this is exactly. I'm, I think it's Strzok's. I'm not sure. I love it, though. Leadership is not how many people are under you, but how many people you are under. How many people you serve. Not how many people serve you. That is the leadership that Jesus is talking about. And he gives the example of himself in verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You see why I say the principle of servant leadership comes from these, this passage, these verses, this verse in particular. So with that foundation, I want to do a little Bible study with you, and it's just kind of going to go book to book here. But I want you to see this mandate, this, this model that Christ intends for the church to have, to be led and governed by under-shepherds called elders, by Christ-like, exemplary Christ-like under-shepherds. Let me start you out in Acts 11, verse 30. Acts 11, verse 30. In Acts 11, verse 30, we're introduced to a church in Antioch. As, as persecution has increased in the early church, the disciples have spread out, and now there's a church in Antioch, and they're pretty far away from Jerusalem, and there's been a church planted there, and they're sending a contribution from that church to the suffering saints in Judea. And this they did, sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul, and notice who they're taking it to? They're taking it to the elders to the leaders of that Jerusalem church. Turn over a couple chapters to Acts 14. Acts 14. Paul and Barnabas, when they had, that's the they, when they had appointed elders for them, and notice in every church, elders in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. They had appointed elders for them in every church. Paul and Barnabas did that. Turn to Acts 15. Acts 15, verse 
in Acts chapter 15, um, it says, Some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. This is one of the big controversies of the early church. The Judaizers would tell the believers, you've got to become Jews first before you can become a Christian. You've got to be circumcised. You've got to adhere to the ceremonies and, and rituals of, of the Jewish law. They were trying to put them all back under legalism. Read the book of Galatians. Why have you who have begun so well getting yourself all bound up in legalism? The, this, is a, this was a big problem in the early church. Jewish Christians trying to impose on the Gentiles Jewish law and Jewish ritual. And so <clears throat> they were saying that you can't be saved unless you do what the custom get circumcised, adding works to the gospel. Go down to verse 4 of Acts 15. When they arrived at Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. Verse 6, the apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter. There was a big concern about this theological error. And then verse 22, then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them to send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, Judas called Barabbas, uh, and Silas, leading, leading men among the brethren. Let me just say something. You see apostles and elders. Understand we don't have apostles today. People may call themselves apostles, but they, they don't fit the biblical definition of apostle. Apostle was someone who saw personally saw the risen Christ, someone that had the, the, biblical, the biblical gift of signs and wonders, someone who uh, spoke for God, spoke for Christ because you did not have scripture at that time, someone who was recognized as one in authority over the church because they were a foundational gift to the church. We do not believe that you, I don't think you're gonna find anybody on the planet today who meets those qualifications. So when the, when, the New when the New Testament age and when the uh, years were ended and when the, when the scriptures were completed, uh, there was no need any longer for the apostles. That, that gift faded away. But in this early time, the apostles were very much involved in the life of the church in terms of helping elders get established in those churches. Go to, verse, go to chapter 16, verse 4. Now, while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees which had been decided upon by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. These were things they were told that they needed to do. In Acts chapter 20, flip over there. Acts chapter 20, this is a sort of a farewell after Paul had spent much time in Ephesus. From Miletus, verse 17 tells us, he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. <laughs> elders is a term for just their maturity, but their uh, presbytery would come from elder, the word elder, the Greek word. Uh, the elders of the church. Then you see in verse 28, he's speaking to them. He says, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has noticed. Notice these words, made you overseers, episkopos made you overseers to shepherd the church of God. Pomea, that's the word for pastor. In other words, you have the word elder in verse 17. That's one term. These are all used interchangeably talking about the same people. Your elders, your overseers, verse 28 says, and your shepherds, verse 28 says. See that? 
Three different words used for the very same people, used interchangeably. So when I say that I'm an elder at Grace Church, I'm also saying I'm an overseer at Grace Church, and I'm also saying I'm a pastor at Grace Church. I shepherd, I feed the flock, I oversee, I lead the flock. An elder, I bring uh, just authority. In, we have authority as an el- a board of elders or, or as a group of elders in the local church. So that's a very important verse on the function of an elder. And you're going to see that repeated in 1 Peter, by the way. You, you're, you've been made overseers. You're shepherding the flock. You're elders in the flock. The flock that was purchased with his own blood. Turn to Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. And, and I'll notice these words are always in the plural. It's never just one. I mean, I can think of one point where it is, but it's really not talking about the leaders of the church so much there. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, verse 1 of Philippians chapter 1. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. He's writing to the church at Philippi, including, notice, the overseers, shepherds, elders, same group, and deacons. He adds another group in there. He adds the deacons to that list now. We're going to talk about that eventually, but that's... that's who he's writing to, the overseers and deacons. Now go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12. Sorry about this turning this morning, but this is a Bible study, and this is how we learn. We just go, this isn't Rod's idea or the elder's idea. This is something that we go to Scripture to say, hey, is, is, this, is it there? 1 Thessalonians 5, 12. But we request of you, brethren that you appreciate or esteem those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. Um, Apparently, in the Thessalonican church, there were those who were laboring diligently. They were those who had charge over them, and they were diligent in this laboring, and you are to appreciate them. And Paul just acknowledges they have charge over them over you. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Keep going in the same direction. 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Notice what Paul says in this. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, shepherd, or pastor, uh, that's what overseer is. It is a fine work that he desires to do. And then he gives the qualifications for that. You see those qualifications. Must be above reproach, husband of one wife, temperate, prudent. He gives all these qualifications. So you aspire to it. Well, let's even back up. You must be a man. You've got to say that in this day and time. Uh, a, a, a woman may put on all the clerical garb and stand in a pulpit and say she's a pastor, but she's not. She's not. This is a role that men hold in the church. We'll have that discussion next week. But anyway, if a man aspires, you can have aspiration for it. And what guards aspiration is is qualification. You can aspire to something but not be qualified for it. But he gives these qualifications that one must have to be an elder. 
above reproach, and then talks about what above reproach means in those verses. Then he goes down in verse 8 of 1 Timothy chapter 3, and you see deacons. Deacons, likewise, must be men of dignity, and so he gives qualifications there as well. Just, uh, I'll touch on these in, in more detail later, but the point is, you see these two offices told about in the, spoken of in the church. Turn to chapter 4 of 1 Timothy. Do not neglect, this is in 4.14 of 1 Timothy 4.14. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Laying on of hands is nothing except just symbolic of saying, we ordain you, we send you out, we just come alongside you in this. There was nothing of a mystical power in that. But these, they would have their hands laid on, he's telling Timothy, you had your hands laid on you. Uh, it's where the word Presbyterian comes from, Presbytery. It's the word elder, basically. It's a, a group of elders. That's all that means. Um, and that's the term that's used there, as a term that's used, used here to refer to those who uh, ordained or who sent out Timothy. Look at chapter 5, verse 17. Chapter 5, verse 17. In chapter 5, verse 17, notice, the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. And I'll just make a, a little side note here. Every elder, I believe elders should be able to teach. I don't think every elder is going to have the same gift of teaching that it looks different in all the elders. Some elders are more diligent and more desirous to stand in this pulpit every week and do what I do versus others who are not doing that and they're still elders but they're to be able to teach and to handle accurately the word of God and so that's just one point I would make from that but he's talking about the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching notice what he says in verse 18 for the scripture says you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing and the labor is worthy of his wages verse 19 do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses you know, elders put themselves up there and anybody can say something about them. But if it can verify with two or three witnesses, that's different. Listen, don't let the elder get off the hook. I mean, he's, he's got feet of clay too. He can sin. He can mess up. He, he can be confronted. That's, that's what he's saying here. There's just a way to do that. Don't let him get off the hook, though, if he's not being faithful to something. Those who continue in sin rebuke in the presence of all so that the rest also will be fearful of sinning. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and his chosen angels to maintain these principles without bias, doing nothing in a spirit of partiality. You don't want an unapproachable elder. You don't want somebody that says, just unteachable. He goes on to say, do not lay hands upon anyone too hastily and thereby share responsibility for the sins of others. Keep yourself free from sin. That's another problem. Don't put somebody in that position too soon. The, the tendency is to be in a rush to do that. And it's always a dangerous thing for a church when that's done and someone just is doing things for their own pride and feeding their own ego. Go to the next book, Titus chapter 1. For this reason I left you in Crete, Paul speaking to Titus. For this reason I left you on that island of Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders. 
And then he goes on and gives the list of qualifications for those elders in Titus 1, 6 and following in same, a very similar list. Um, and notice he uses the word in verse 7, overseer. It's interchangeable, right? It's interchangeable. An elder is a pastor. An elder is an overseer. An elder is a shepherd. An elder is one who is leading the flock. Overseer must be above reproach and gives all the qualifications just like 1 Timothy 3 does. And listen, I would say this. These are qualifications not just for an elder. These are qualifications everybody in the body of Christ should have. All of us should have these qualities in our life. This isn't just for some special, super spiritual person. I don't live up to these perfectly. No elder does. But these are certainly what I as an elder, realize I must be an example to the congregation on. These are things I realize that I must, I'm held to them in a different way if I'm going to stand up in front of you, that I'm held to them with an accountability that would be different than just a member of our church. So there's a tremendous responsibility. But an elder is accountable to these things. We all should be striving in these things. Turn to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7. Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. See, they're, they're to be an example to you. It's not that uh, you want to be like them. You want to be like the Christ in them. Imitate their faith. As they model that list we saw in Titus, as they model that, you imitate that. Go up to verse 17 of 13, chapter 13. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as though who, those who will give an account let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. And so we're to recognize that, that leaders teach, leaders preach, imitate their faith, and it assumes they live a life worth following. They live a life worth following. Follow me as I follow Christ. Go to the book of James. Book of James. Verse 14. James chapter 5, I'm sorry. James chapter 5, verse 14. James 5, 14 says, Is anyone among you sick? This is verse 14 of James 5. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Every church has elders. And then finally, go back to 1 Peter chapter 5. It should be right there. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. You see elders in verse 1 of chapter 5. I exhort the elders. You see verse 2, shepherd. See it? Pomea, pastor. That's verse 2. See this after the first comma, exercising oversight. That's overseers. All three words in those two verses talking about the very same person. 
A pastor is an elder, an overseer, shepherd, exercising oversight, leading the church. He gives some instruction there. We're going to talk about this in more detail in the weeks to come. But he's not to be a heavy-handed individual. He's not to do this uh, with, with pride. He's not to do this as he's on some ego trip. He's not like he's cracking a whip. Verse 3, as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. What have I tried to do this morning? I've tried to show you the pattern of the New Testament. I've tried to show you that it's clear. I don't think it's, uh, there's a, a lot of fog on this at all. I think it's very clear how a church should have its leadership structured and how a church should be governed. Grace Church didn't always do it this way. Grace Church did it a way that was very common in a lot of churches where you had the pastor and a, and a board of deacons. We did it that way for many years. Uh, I'm not saying that was sinful or anything like that. I'm just saying that I don't believe that was the biblical way to do it, the biblical model to do it. A lot of churches did that, a lot of churches. A lot of churches have that model where you have a strong pastor and, and, and deacons and that kind of structure. I don't think that's the correct model. And as we have moved toward becoming a more healthy church, we have sought to do it this way, do what we believe is the most biblical way. Strzok says it like this in his book, the New Testament offers more instruction regarding elders than any other important matter of the church. You, you hear more about elders than you do the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Day, baptism, or spiritual gifts. You hear more about the topic of church government than you do about those things. So it's very clear. John MacArthur in his book, The Master Plan for the Church, says proper biblical government by elders is the only pattern for church leadership given in the New Testament. Nowhere do you find in the New Testament a church governed by majority opinion or ruled by one pastor. You don't see that anywhere. You never see that in a local assembly. And so... And I believe, I believe that you see uh, autonomously, it's, it's like every church, our church should have no other elders above us. You have your elders, the ones that live among you that can be an example to you, that can lead you and teach you. We don't have some hierarchy above us that goes all the way to the Pope. You know what I'm saying? Some churches have this hierarchy. You don't see that anywhere in here at all. Some hierarchy that there would be above, above the elders here, another level of, of leadership and all of that. You just don't see that anywhere. Some denominations work that way. But you don't see that in Scripture. It's independent, autonomous-led local churches. And those elders are examples to that flock. And that flock can see the marriages, the marriages of that those elders, it's not some distant guy in a building some, down, upstate somewhere. It's not like that. that when they can see the, how he lives his life. They've sat under his teaching. They look for consistency. They, they look for all of those things. You can't do that in some crazy hierarchies. With people with fancy hats on and all that kind of stuff. They know him and he knows them. And it's not that local churches can't interact with each other. We certainly do, and we have, and communicate. But no other church has authority over this church. It's the elders that are among you. And then these elders were assisted by another group, and I don't have time to really develop this a whole lot, but they were assisted by deacons. 
by deacons. And I think the reason a lot of churches get the office of deacon wrong is because they get the office of elder wrong. There are some churches that will, uh, where deacons are like the elders, take the role of the elders. And that's a very confusing thing. There's not a whole lot of New Testament instruction on the role of deacon. But when you get the role of elder correct, I believe you're going to get the role of deacon correct. Turn to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. This is not a passage, I would say, that speaks specifically to the role of deacons. I would say it's a prototype, though. I would say that deacons don't really come along until later. This is the early church. This is early, early church. Uh, And I think you see this later on. But this is a prototype to the office of deacon. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail on this, but you're familiar with this. Now, at this time, a need arose in the church for some people to help serve. Now, this, this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Greek Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. The church is exploding. They're having this ma- massive potluck dinner, you know, and, and you're not sure if it's favoritism. Well, you know, they're a Greek Jew. I'm going to make sure they get served. Or, you, know, I, you don't know if it's favoritism or just mismanagement. There's just too many people. Verse 2, so the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, it is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. There's a problem here. It has to be solved. I can't, as a, the, the apostles are saying, as we cannot be distracted by doing a potluck um, from the word of God in prayer. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wind of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And this statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose out these men that are listed here in verse 5. And these were brought before the apostles. After praying, they laid their hands on them, and the word of God just kept on spreading. And the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. Like I said, it may not be the official office of deacon that's being talked about here, but it's certainly a picture of what the deacons do. They enable the preaching of the Word of God, the ministry of the Word of God, by taking on things that do that important matters of the church, other matters of the church, so the elders do not have to carry the weight of those things. And so I think when you get elders right, you get deacons right. And it's not that we can't improve on the way we're doing things. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, I just think we have a biblical, we're starting out with a biblical foundation. We've started with a biblical foundation on this. And, and you, you just, you've seen all kinds of horror stories with elders and deacons. Sometimes you've got an elder board and a deacon board, and they, the deacon board wants to serve as a checks and balances on this elder board. There you go with the American way right away, you know. And it, it just turns into a conflict. And different, you know, it's, it's no unity there. Um, or you got the deacon board serving as the elder board. You got different problems with all of that. I'm not trying to just bring up all kinds of things. But the point is, um, the role of elder and the role of deacon, I think, are very important. 
are the only two offices that the, the Bible talks about. It's like a husband and wife. Uh, the husband is the leader. The wife provides support so the husband can make wise decisions. That's the same in the church. The, the deacons provide the support to the elders. I think it's more than building maintenance. They certainly are helpful in all of those things, but I think they have certain qualifications to, to, that they can care for the poor and the needy and widows and counseling as well. I mean, they do have character qualities that are, they're, they're supposed to have, they're required to have. So, I mean, they certainly have those kinds of ministries available to them. And I think every man in our church, quite frankly, should desire this. I think every man in our church should desire to serve as a deacon or an elder. I do. Every man. I, I just really believe that you should desire that. It doesn't mean that, you know, I'll tell you, there's a way we do this in our church. I'm not going to, I don't, obviously don't have any, much more time here to, to do this. I got next week though. But the point is, I think what, what, what I mean by that is to just desire to, to have a role in the church and recognize that maybe you're not qualified. Maybe there's reasons you're not qualified and figure out how to get qualified. Figure out what needs to happen in my life that I would be qualified. Or this isn't the right season of life. I get that. It's not the right season of life for every man. He's got a busy life, a busy family, starting out on a lot of things. And that's understandable. A lot of men we've approached about moving to these things have, have said, no, this isn't the right season of my life. And that makes total sense. Makes total sense. But I've sort of laid out some theological points there, and I'll go into the more the practical things next time. But... Um, I'm just thankful. I'm thankful for the elders and deacons that we have in our church. I believe they have helped us to become a healthier church. We've got a long ways to go to be as healthy as we want to be, but I believe they've gone, taken us many steps. I appreciate them very much, every one of them. And, uh, and I'm thankful to God for the heart of this church that you, you just are like-minded in what we have sought to do. So we pre praise God for that. Next time I'll pick it up from there and we'll talk more about this passage and some of the ways that this is carried out in the local church. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your truth and your word. Just a little bit of instruction today, God, but I think it's helpful to us. It's helpful to us to have our foundations right. It's helpful to us understand our foundations and why we do what we do. To understand that you've only put two, two offices in the Bible, two offices for the local church to be autonomous in. Uh, the office of elder and the deacons. We thank you for that. We thank you for the clarity. We thank you for just being able to look at these passages today. I thank you, God, for the men who serve in these roles in this body. Thank you for their example to the church, for their laboring diligently among us in so many ways. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.